0: Good morning. Welcome to Church of the Apostles. We're so glad that you've chosen to be with us uh, for worship this morning. As we like to always do, uh, we're going to begin our time uh, just with with reading of God's word to prepare our hearts for our time of worship together. I'm going to read this morning from Psalms 139. It says this, Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth Praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin our time this morning. Dear Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your attributes. We thank you for the beauty of you that we see in creation. We, we thank you for the way we see you even in this beautiful morning and this time that we gather to worship today. We pray that uh, this time as we worship would be all about you, that it would be about your glory, uh, that we'd be excited about your name and who you are and what you've done for us. and. Uh, We just pray that uh, this time would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, that we would make much of you. We thank you for all you do for us, and we pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, If you you know me at all, I've said this a few times from up here, you know that I like to play basketball a lot, and uh, when I was in college, uh, it's probably a little embarrassing. I probably spent more time in the rec center playing basketball than anything else in my time in college. I'd probably be about probably 20 hours a week in there. I'd play basketball five days a week. I played all the time. Uh, I'd get done with class, and that's what I'd go do, and that's just what I, what I enjoyed to do for exercise, and just because I love basketball. But uh, as I was working on this this week, I kept thinking of a guy that I hadn't thought of in years, and uh, he was there probably my, my sophomore and junior year at A&M, and uh, he used to come into the gym, and there were a couple of courts that we'd always play on, and the same guy would come in every day, and he'd bring his bag in, and a ball, and all this stuff, and he'd be all dressed, and he'd come in, and he'd do drills on the side, and he'd dribble up and down, and he'd do all these dribbling drills, and he'd do all this stuff, and I never once saw him play. A year and a half, he was there, and he'd play, and finally I asked somebody, I said, what's the deal with that guy? And they were like, I think he broke his leg or something, and he's trying to get back to where, and so then I got to know him a little bit, and talk to him, and he knew a lot about basketball, and seemed pretty knowledgeable, and all this stuff, and, but I, I literally, in a year and a half, I never once saw him play in a game. He would just come and do his drills, and he'd be there for an hour and a half or two hours, and then he'd leave. And uh, he came to mind this week because I, it, it kind of hit me with what we're going to look at in Isaiah 58 this morning, that a lot of times that's what the church looks like in some ways, that we can come and we can do a lot of things and a lot of stuff and never actually play, never actually get involved. And so he came to mind because that picture I see we see a little bit in this passage that we're looking at this morning. And if you've been with us, you know we're actually... We're, we're finishing up a three-week series, a real short little series that we've done here uh, just right after Easter. And what we've been talking about is justice and mercy and God's view of justice and what that means and what he looks for, uh, what he expects out of us as his followers, what it looks like to follow Christ. And if you've been with us, we, we spent a little time in uh, Micah a couple of weeks ago, and then last week we looked at the life of Christ and how that plays out in his life. And what we've been seeing, just a real quick recap of where we've been, is when we talk about justice, there's kind of two sides of this that we look at. And part of it is speaking up for those that are taken advantage of, uh, saying uh, when we see injustice, when we see things that aren't right, we speak up for those. We look to help in those areas, uh, that God is a God of justice, and we're to do that, and we're to treat all people equally and fairly, Uh, despite uh, any differences in in race or economic background or whatever it may be, we're to see all people the same way because we're made in God's image. But the other side of that was living righteously, which also has a connotation of justice to it. And we talked about if we were to live righteously, that is to live right before God and before man, love God, love man, love our neighbors, ourself, then we wouldn't really need the corrective justice. But because we're sinful and we're messed up people and we, do things selfishly. We need both sides of it, and we're to be about both, and we've looked at that the last couple of weeks. Uh, This morning, we're going to go just a little deeper and really end up this series, try to wrap this up a little bit, and we're going to do so by looking at Isaiah 58. It's a very famous passage when we get into this particular uh, area, when we start to talk about justice. Isaiah 58 just really goes straight to the heart of the matter. And so this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, Isaiah 58 and we're going to see that uh, much like uh, what Micah was writing to, we see uh, the prophets, if you know anything about the prophets, they were dealing with injustice, they were dealing with rebellion against God, they were dealing with idolatry, all sorts of things. And when we look at Isaiah, we it's it's helpful to know that Isaiah wrote about 700 years before Christ in a very dark time of Israel and what was going on, and there were all sorts of problems. You can sum up a lot of the prophets. They all, all are speaking to that. A lot of times you see them uh, pronouncing how off the people have gotten. Uh, often they, they foretell of what's coming, the hardships that are coming because of rebellion. You see, though, often, though, that they'll, they'll pronounce the word of the Lord, they'll tell what's coming, and then they'll offer repentance, they'll say. But you can still turn back. Even though this is coming, even though this is the consequences of our sin, it's still better if you turn back now. And so they say that over and over, and we get that kind of feel even in Isaiah 58. And that's just a little background as we jump in, because we've jumped around in this series from different passage to different passage. And so this morning, we're going to read all of Isaiah 58 together. It's printed on the back of your bulletin if you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along with us. In the ESV, which is the same thing I read from, so you can follow along with the exact same wording and everything on the back there we try to print that for you so isaiah 58 let's read that together and then we'll jump in and look at this passage cry aloud do not hold back lift up your voice like a trumpet declare to my people their transgression to the house of jacob their sins yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their god They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? We have humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and you oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer and you shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfied The desire of the afflicted, then shall your light arise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire and scorch places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose water does not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, And the holy day of the Lord honorable if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly Then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father for the mouth of the Lord has spoken Let's pray and then we're going to look at that passage together dear Lord. We thank you for your word we thank you as we read from Psalm 119 this morning that your, your statutes are, are timeless and they're perfect and we can rely and we can trust on them. We pray this morning that as we open your word that it would be clear that your Holy Spirit would come and, and illuminate it for us, that you would bring it to mind, that you would uh, apply it to our hearts, that you would open our eyes to see it. We confess this morning without your spirit that that can't happen And so we just confess that we need you to be here to do that. We thank you for your word. We thank you for our time that we have together in it. We thank you that we can do so this morning without the fear of persecution, that we can stand here and openly proclaim your word. We pray that you would bless this time, that it would be honorable and pleasing to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we begin, as I often do, I like to just ask questions and let the text answer it. Uh, Some of these questions in the way we've looked at, we've covered to a degree already, but we're going to go a little different way looking at it a little further, uh, a little deeper, maybe as a better way to say it. So the questions we're going to ask first is, is how do we miss this? If God is about justice and we as his people are to be about justice, how do we miss this so often? How do we get off? Then secondly, uh, what does it look like when we get it right what does it really begin to look like? And then thirdly, I want us just to end with a real... I hope it will be very encouraging. Why we should be excited about this? Why get excited about doing justice and mercy? Why is that a good thing? So let's, let's go through those together. Let's start with how do, we admiss, how do we miss it? How do we get off on that? If you look at verse 2 with me, as we begin to read in Isaiah 58, it's God addressing... He's telling Isaiah, you're going to go tell these people this is what you're going to say to them. And then God talking about the people... Uh, Israel and what they're doing. And that's what you see in verse two. And he says, yet they seek me daily and they delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments and they delight to draw near to God. And when you first read that and here we're asking the question, how are they missing it? It seems like they're doing pretty good. When we read verse two, it sounds like everything's going okay. They're doing a lot, they seem to be, it says they're seeking God and they want to see his face and they want to know him. They delight to know his ways. They're forsaking uh, the judgment. They want to delight to draw near to God. And it starts off pretty good. It sounds promising to begin with. But what we see is when we start to read further down in this passage, and we'll look at it in just a second, is it's not all that different than my buddy in the, in the gym. Right? They, they like to do certain things. They like to come together and worship. They like to make it and say the right things, look the part talk about it but that's about it that's about the extent of it on the surface it looks really good but the problem is there's a heart problem behind it and we start to see that in verse three there's this disconnect there and you begin to see it in verse three it says as god addresses or i'm sorry they are addressing god you know we switched here god says this and then it's god kind of quoting the people what they say back to him and they say why have we fasted you see it not we have humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it and so what they're asking is they're saying, we're doing all these things, we're fasting, we're coming together for prayer, we're, we're, we're doing the outward things. And God, you're not listening, you're not doing our things, you're not answering our prayers the way you want us, we want you to. And so what happens there in verse three is, is their hearts revealed. You see, they're doing all these external things so they can manipulate God. What can I get out of God? I'm going to do these things so that now you owe me. So now you've got to do what I pray or what I ask. And so when they do that, what happens there is it reveals their heart. And you see that you see that they're they're really doing it on the outward, not to actually uh, be um, in line with who God is and what he wants, but so they can manipulate and see what they can get out of them. And that's what you begin to see there in verse three, this disconnect. And the sad part, I think a lot of times is that's the way a whole lot of people, especially in our country today, view church. I'll make time in my week to come here and I'll sit and I'll listen and I'll pay attention and I'll look the part and I'll dress up and I'll even pray if if I need to pray or I have to do that or whatever so that I've earned some favor with God. And so what we see here when God answers back and what he tells us is what he thinks of that. It's the same thing we talked about a little bit when we try last week, when we try to manipulate God and we try to fit him into our little thing. And now, okay, now you've done some things you owe me. That's not the way it works. That's not who God is and the way that goes together. You see God's answer and you see it. Uh, What he says in the second half of verse three and verse four, he says. So they say this, right? They say, we've done all these things. We're doing the external. Why aren't you answering us? And then God says, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. And oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice heard on high. And what God says, and we see this all throughout scripture is he sees our heart. You can do all the stuff on the outside and go, oh, look, I have put on a good show and look, I'm, I've got it together. And he sees right through to your motives every time he sees all of it. Remember when we walked through, if you were with us, we did a series on walking with Jesus. And we saw that everywhere we'd go, we'd say Jesus knew the hearts of men. And he knew exactly what they were after and what they were trying to get from him. And he sees right through it. And so when we start to, to try to look the part and do the outward things, and there's not the heart that goes with it, God sees right through it. And he says that so clearly. Uh, It makes it makes me think of when I when I read that, it makes me jump in my mind to uh, Matthew 23. If you've ever read Matthew 23, it's one of the most uh, Jesus just uh, frustration, just the way he he just goes at the religious leaders. Matthew 23, uh, it's the seven woes to the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. And what he says basically is the same thing that he's saying that God's telling us in the end of verse three, and the beginning of verse four here. You look the part, but you don't actually believe it. Your heart's not really aligned with it. Now, Matthew 23 actually says this for they preach, but they do not practice. And he's talking about the religious leaders. Oh, they're really good at having rules and looking the part, but they don't actually practice what they preach. And then he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And you see Jesus getting furious with them that they're they're missing the heart of God and what he wants. He goes on to say at the end of Matthew 23, you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. It's the same thing God's saying in Isaiah 58. The people are coming together and they make a good show and they say, oh, look at us and look what we're doing and we're fasting and they make this big deal. And God says, no. I want your heart. I see right through all this. And so what you get in this picture is 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 how we miss it. When we talk about how we miss it at the beginning, we miss it when we make uh, our relationship with God all about externals. When We make it about church just coming. OK, I'm going to come and I'll dress up and I'll come here and I'll do my part and now I'll go back on to my life because that's exactly what's happening here. Right. They they come and they fast and they do all these things. But then when God answers, he says, behold, you fast. But then as soon as you're done, you seek your own pleasure and you oppress all your workers. So as soon as they walk out of the assembly, it's back to the real world. And then I'll go back on with my stuff and I'll make it all about me and what I want. And I'll take advantage of people. And God says, that's not the way it works. And so when we talk about how do we miss it, our first point here, the way we miss it is we make it all about the externals. We make it about playing the part. We make it about looking the right thing and then thinking, oh, I'm good because I went to church on Sunday morning and then our life doesn't reflect it. And that's why my friend from uh, from college kept coming to mind. He comes in and he looks the part of the basketball player and he does his drills and he dribbles and he talks basketball with everybody and then he never actually steps on the court and he leaves. And that's what so often happens within the church. We look the part on Sunday morning and then that's compartmentalize thats this part over here and now i'll get on with my real life and so we see god calling them out and that's that's how we miss it and that's how we so often miss it so what does it look like when we actually get it let's take it to the next step what it, what does god want from us what is he seeking because he tells us right here in isaiah 58 if you look at verse 6 and 7 You know, we've hit on this to some degree the last couple weeks, but I want us to go even a little further here. Look at verses six and seven. actually go back to five because he actually says to him, he says, is this what I want for you? Do I want uh, for a person to humble himself and bow his head down like a reed and to spread spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast? He says, do I want you just to make a great big show to really make it look good? Is that what I'm after? He's asking this rhetorical question and the answer is obviously no by the context here and by what he says next. He says, no, I don't want the big show. And then he tells us what he wants in verse six and verse seven. Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? And when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself From your own flesh. God says I want your life. Your heart condition to be so much that it overflows into everything you do. And that you care about justice the way God cares about justice. That when you see people hurting and in need. Your heart is broken the way God's heart is broken for them. And you begin to act and you begin to do things. Notice he says that we're to a. To loose the bonds of wickedness and undo the straps and to share your bread with the hungry and do all these things. But I want you to notice the way he says it. It's not just feeding those that need food. It's not just writing a check and going, oh, well, I'll help out. That's good. I'll do that and I'll make sure maybe I'll give some money to the food bank and then I'll be done. Because the very next thing he says is in verse seven to bring the homeless poor into your house And so the picture is that it's not just at arm's length. Maybe I'll give some money or I'll do this and just say, "Okay, I've I've done my deed. And he says, get involved with people that need help. Intertwine your life with those that are in need. It's not just keep them at arm's distance. It's actually get to know them and love them and come alongside of them and help them. It makes me think of the way Paul says it in the New Testament. He says it in Galatians 6. In Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3, it says it over and over that we are to bear one another's burdens. And when you think about what that actually means, to bear one another's burdens, it means that you're actually taking part of their burden on yourself. You're helping with it. You're alleviating it by taking part of it. The sad part in our society, a lot of times we look at helping and giving and doing things like we should, but it's, it's uh, charity. That's what we call it. It's charity. And what that means is, when we say charity, is that's something optional I do if I feel like it. Or it's something I do if I've, I've met all my needs and I've gotten all the things taken care of that I want and I could use and, and all, all the stuff that I need, uh, all the desires of my heart. I get all those things, and now if I've got some money left over, I might give it to charity. And when we do that, we're not bearing one another's burdens. Because it's not cutting into our lifestyle at all. If we're really bearing one another's burdens, then that means I'm giving up something to help them. I'm taking it on. It's not just out of the overflow. It's not just, oh, if I've got some left, then I'll do that. Excuse me. It's not just that. I think about it, uh, you know, we can say bear one another's burdens as Paul does in the New Testament. Or we could say it the way Jesus says it over and over. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, think about that for just a second. Uh, if you have a need, if your car breaks down, something happens, what do you do? You fix it. I, I need this. I need to take care of this. I do that. We, we, we meet our needs and we, do, we get our things that we need taken care of and we do it whenever they arise, the second they arise, because we love ourselves. To, I mean, we love ourselves we do that. We take care of what we need. To love ourselves, to love our neighbors as ourselves, that means we start to look to meet their needs in the same way I meet my needs. That's a hard thing. It's a lot harder to do that than it is to just go, well, I've got some left over and now I'll I'll give it to this or that. To really love them, love those around us as we love ourselves, It means that it's going to cut into our lifestyle. To bear one another's burdens, that's going to happen. And and when we look at this passage, it even goes a step further. And I want you to look at this in verse 6 and 7 with me. Here God's laying out these things that I want you to do. To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, the oppressed. All those things have to do with justice, what we've talked about. Speaking up for those who are in need that are being taken advantage of. And he says, I want you to be about going after those things and looking to fix them. And and where you can step in and where you can speak up and where you can help put a stop to these things, you're to do it. And then he says, is it not to share your bread with the hungry? And bring the homeless poor into your house. And he makes this connection there between verses 6 and 7 that you're giving and you're helping is part of that speaking out for injustice. Or to say it positively, when you're giving and doing like that, that we're doing justice. We're helping. We're doing justice by doing those. And so what we like to do is say, well, giving and helping and doing those things is uh, charity. We do it, optional thing. We do it when we feel like it. Okay, I'll bring that along. But then when we look at the way God looks at this, and this is all throughout Scripture. It's not just here. It's in Matthew 6. It's in Job 31. It's in Ezekiel 18. It's here in Isaiah 58. And what it is, the connection that I'm driving at and I'm getting to is when God says you're helping and you're meeting those needs and you're giving, that that's justice. So the, the, the opposite side of that coin is when we're stingy and we see all our stuff is my own and I'll only give or I'll only help when I've got an excess or an overflow, is we're, we're being unjust. That hit me as I read, I was reading a book a couple weeks ago and, and studying through some of those passages and the way that God makes those connections. That is a huge statement. That when we just don't care about those that are in dire need and we just kind of put it off to the side and, oh, I'll just take care of all my, we're being unjust. We're not doing justice the way God calls us to. And that's a huge thing. And I think the way that we get over that, the way that we get past that, the way that we start to see it biblically is it comes down to this. How do you see what you have? Is what you have your stuff or is it God's? Is there anything that you have in your life that you don't have because God has graciously given you? And see, a lot of times our mind, and this is all of us, I'm not pointing the finger at anybody, we all do this, I worked very hard for my money, or I did this, or I saved, or I invested, or I did these things, and I did that, and we go, this is mine, and so I I choose, and I'm going to do whatever I want with it, and, and it's my money, and we see it that way. And then I want you just to think through that, of a sovereign God who created you, who made all things. Why were you good at money? Why were you good at making money? Why were you smart enough to know how to invest? See where I'm going It's because God created you to be good at making money or he created you to give you a mind to do some of these things. And when you start to see that he's sovereign over all things, everything you have is a gracious gift from God. Every good thing in your life comes down from God. He's given it to you. And when we start to see it that way, it changes our perception on everything we have and what we've been given and how we use it. It completely changes it because if it's all God's and God is all about justice And his heart is about uh, telling people who he is for them to see how he's reconciled us and his son, Jesus, and that he's about uh, addressing all these issues and all these things. And he doesn't want to see people suffering and taken advantage of when we see that it's all God and it's all his. Our heart becomes aligned with his and we go, this is yours, God. How can I use it? I can use it for the things that you care about and you want, and it completely transforms all of it. And so our heart, what we see when we read through this is God wants our heart to be so affected that it lives out the way we we deal with other people, that it's not just putting on the show and looking good. And then we we really okay Now I can get to the stuff I really want to do. It's we become transformed to be like he is. And so as we get to this, the, 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 what does it really look like of bearing one another's burdens and helping those in need and speaking up and doing those things? I'll be honest, you can get to the end of this. And even this three weeks, this has been a very hard three weeks in terms of study and thinking about these, how they come to bear on my own life. As I read through this and I think about it, and as I get to this, I don't just hear this. Don't be motivated by guilt. Don't sit here and go, oh, he said we're supposed to give money and we're supposed to help people and we're supposed to do these things. And uh, the church said we should. So now I got to go do that. (laughs) Because if we're going at it that way, we're missing the whole thing. We're missing it all together. It's not supposed to be motivated by guilt, And I know when we talk about this, this can be challenging and it can be very convicting and it can be hard to think through the implications of what this means for your own life and how you go about things. But I want us to end this morning with more of why we should be excited about it. More positive side. The goods. I don't want you to leave here feeling guilty like, oh, I'm not getting it or I'm not doing well or I got to do more or whatever. Because the first part I want us to understand when we talk about why we should get excited about. Look at verses 13 and 14. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath and doing your pleasure on my holy day. So God says, if you really understand what it's like to worship me and to be about who I am and you and you do away with the things where you just walk out the door and it's just back to business as usual. And then he says, and call the Sabbath a delight And the holy day of the Lord, honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. And the picture that emerges there is what God wants is a heart change that is so overwhelmed by who he is and his grace for us and what he's done that it affects everything in your life. He doesn't want to guilt you into doing things. He wants you to be renewed and made new by what he's done for you. I say this every week. I want to make sure we don't miss that. We never miss that part of it. But this whole thing is you're not saved by now doing these things. We do these things because we've been saved by a merciful, beautiful, holy God who loves us. That changes us to do these things, not the other way around. And we have to see that or the rest of this falls apart. You'll be crushed by it because we can't do it. We can't earn his favor in that way. It has to come. We see graciously that God entered our story and he took our sins and he died on our behalf. And he gives us all the benefits. And we so are moved by that that we now want to do these things. So please hear that. Make sure that that's the basis of everything we're saying. But then I want us to go to the next part here. The next part is really uh, the the great part, the exciting part. And I want you to see this. It's in verses 8 through 12 and what he says, because what he says is when that happens and that heart change happens and you begin to do these things and you begin to seek me, your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. You will... If you take against the yoke from your midst... The pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness, he says, if you do away with those things and you put them to the side and you pour yourself out for the hungry and you satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise and the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will continually satisfy your desire and scorch places and make your bones strong. Do you see what he's saying? you see why this is so important? It's important because I want you to understand what God says about the way we're to live and what happens when we do. You are overwhelmed. He will bless you in ways that you can't imagine. He will take care of you. You will see His glory in where you go and what you do because you will be aligning with the God of the universe in His heart for this creation I I was so overwhelmed by this the other day that it's, I hope you, you hear this. I want us to be doing this and to be seeking him in these ways because this is what God wants for us. I want us to trust what God says about how we're to live more than what the world says. Because when we we buy into what the world says, it's a mess. You'll chase it forever and you'll never get anywhere. But when you start to really take God at his word, he says, your bones will be made strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Things will be rebuilt. I will do things. You will see things happen. My glory will be your rear guard. It'll be incredible. Now, here's the hard part. Oftentimes we take that and we twist that to be some kind of prosperity gospel. Okay, you give money and God will just bless you and then you'll have everything you want. That's not what this says. I'm sorry. But what it does say is that when you start to pour your life out for others, he will bless you and he will let you do more and more and he will bless you through it and you'll be able to bless more people and do more things and proclaim his name and you will see his face, and that is what you are made for. I always bring up the, the way we twist it because when we twist it into a prosperity gospel, what we're saying is that the things that make us happy are stuff and that is a lie. It is his faith and him and him alone that will satisfy you and nothing else. And that's what this says, that when we become all about these things and we become. That's why Jesus says, I came to give you life and give it to you abundantly. I came to restore you to God and your relationship with him and to show you what it looks like to live and to live the way that I designed this place to work and be. And it will be far greater than anything you ever can imagine. So as we end this three weeks talking about the things that we're to be doing and that we should be about as a body of believers, hear this. It'll be far greater than anything we can imagine the closer we get to this. The more we just pour ourselves out for those around us, the more you will see God's face in ways that you cannot even imagine. Because quite simply, this is God's plan for our life. It's what he wants from us. He wants us to be about glorifying his name and making it known. So our hope and my prayer as we finish this week is that we may be a people that embraces this world and those around us with the love that God's embraced us with. And that it pours forth in everything we do. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way it is living and active. I thank you for the way that it cuts us deep that it opens us up, that it shows where we are deficient, where we are not trusting you. But I also thank you that right there along with that all the way through is that you love us and that you care for us, that you've provided a way despite all our failings and mistakes to draw near to you and to know you and to love you, and we thank you for that. We pray that you would remake our hearts, that you would remake this place, that you would open us up to love those around us to care about those in need, that first and foremost we would always be about sharing your gospel and what you've done for us, but the overflow of that would be in every area of our life. We thank you for all you do for us, and we pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.